It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's a great day. That's what we say. Happy Yes, it's that time of year again. Birthdays at the Property Voice, that is. And the podcast is uh, is two years old this month, would you believe? Uh, as is the Property Investor Toolkit book that I wrote, uh, obviously, about two years ago. And then the Property Voice itself, my alter ego, if you like, uh, my vehicle for sharing knowledge, is four years old this month as well. So there does seem to be something about us the springtime in my world that promotes creativity and innovation. Just making a mental note of that right now. Thanks very much for joining me today on the show. So no elaborate birthday ramblings, just a short summary. And then I, I wanted to share with you a bit of an update on some of my own activities over the past few months in the main segment of the show. As for the podcast, we've now clocked up 93 episodes with over 94,000 downloads. So another couple of milestones are clearly within sight as well. Before the recently self-imposed hiatus, we were hitting around 6,000 downloads a month. So you can see the organic growth that had been achieved with the podcast over the, uh, over the last couple of years. I hope that I can bring many of these listeners back again, um, perhaps having uh, disappeared for a couple of months. But I do know this podcast is a, is a little meatier and with a little less fluff than some of the other ones out there. So that's by design. Niche. Niche is good in my world. So uh, thank you for being niche with me, dear listener. <laughs> Before I shut up with the uh, birthday stuff, here's a quick present for you, though. My book, The Property Investor Toolkit, will be available in the Kindle format for £1 only. £1? Yeah, £1 only. For three days immediately after this podcast airs. So uh, make sure you grab yourself a copy of that at an unbelievable price. Or share the love and let someone else uh, that you know is interested in property know about it, won't you? Also, since the last uh, last year, I can now say that the Property Investor Toolkit is officially an Amazon bestseller in the real estate category. And that's as a paid-for book, <laughs> not just a free one as it was in the past when I last gave an update. Yep, I am an Amazon bestseller. Uh, that's it, really. I'm, I'm not going to indulge in the birthday celebrations quite as much as last year. Let's get on with the show and share some real-world property updates from a real-world property investor, shall we? Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Now, it's been a while since I shared some of my own activities so I thought I would give you a snapshot of some of what I've been up to uh, and involved with myself of late. Many of you know that I'm involved in both projects and knowledge sharing in property. So let's start with just some of the projects that I've been involved with over the, over the last uh, few months or so. I have to confess, confess even, <laughs> that I am particularly attracted to projects that allow me to leverage my own capital and or to recycle my funds as much as possible. This allows me to scale and so do more with less. I do like to make my money work hard for me, that's for sure. So it will come as no surprise then that uh, some of my most recent projects have this theme very much in mind as well. 
For example, I've undertaken several long-term projects in the United States now. This is partly to diversify my long-term interests by country and also by currency, but also because the USA is more advanced than the UK with some of the more creative financing structures available. I've acquired several units in the US via lease purchase or installment contract types of structure, with the funding effectively provided by the owner or developer of the property. To be honest, the ones that I've uh, taken on will be slow burners as far as the monthly income or cash flow is concerned. They will wash their face, uh, so to speak, along the way, but that's for sure. But uh, they're part of my long-term asset accumulation or wealth goals rather than my short-term income goals. More on this distinction later. The idea, though, is that I will buy these properties gradually over a 15-year period and pay off a little each month in a similar way that a repayment mortgage would work. Rents at least cover the costs over the term. There may be some increases over time which bring that up, but I'm just going to assume that they don't and it's going to be more or less washing their face, as I mentioned. But the main attraction is that I will own these properties free and clear in 15 years, with me then retaining all of the rental income at the time. So to me, they're like a, a long-term savings plan where the tenants pay into the savings plan rather than me. As the owner or developer is effectively providing the financing, it also means no complex bank finance applications, which can be tricky, complex and time-consuming, especially when investing from overseas. The managing agent takes care of everything for me on the ground, so I can invest from a distance and I just have to take care of the financial aspects myself. I know that for many people this could sound a little crazy, but for a sophisticated or just plain busy investor like me, they represent an interesting aspect of my property portfolio. These properties would fit in for anyone that is thinking things along the lines of asset accumulation over the long term, pension planning, children's savings plans, or just a, a simple way of uh, to add a self-financing unit to the portfolio with less than 5k down. The properties that I've taken on, so far at least, are, have been in Chicago and Florida. I rather like these, I have to say. In fact, I like them so much that I've started to look at variations on this theme and have set myself a, a pet project to locate other types of owner or vendor financing structures in the US market. And I, I picked on the US market because it's a mature market as well. So there's a strong legal system and protection. It's a hard currency. And there's, there's a lot of other factors that make it you know, a good place to invest outside of the UK. And I'm planning a trip over to the US next month to meet some of the contacts that I've made and will hopefully bring back a few tasty opportunities, some, of, some with a short-term time frame or greater cash flow play than the units I've taken on to date. So let me know if you'd like to be among the first to, to hear about the results of this project and I'll keep you posted. So what else can I tell you then? Oh yes, an experiment of mine into the field of serviced accommodation. This term, serviced accommodation, has become something of a hot topic in, uh, in the property over the last couple of years or so. No doubt you've seen some of the courses on it advertised by some of the large and smaller property training providers alike. Service accommodation is another description for short-term lettings. Short-term lettings means renting property by the night or by the week, usually to lots of different people, rather than say an AST or a short short-hold tenancy agreement, which is a longer-term let to the same tenant. 
It is, for all intents and purposes, more like a hotel model than a standard buy-to-let rental model. So I wanted to get some real-world experience of this type of model. After all, the sales messaging claim is that you can produce returns of up to four or five times that of single lets. Whilst this is possible, it's by no means guaranteed, I can tell you. It is also a completely different business model and one that requires quite a lot of regular work and activity that you either need to do yourself or pay someone else to do for you instead. In truth, I've been operating a serviced accommodation model for quite a few years now anyway, as I have, a, have holiday rentals in both Portugal and Brazil. Holiday lets are a form of serviced accommodation or short-term letting, and if you've ever stayed in such a place, then you can start to understand how the model works. Short-term letting allows a premium to be charged by renting a property by the night instead of, say, by the half year or so. It's a little bit like car rental. You can take a car on a long-term lease at a much lower cost than if you need one for a weekend getaway, say. And the same principle, same principle rather, applies to property rented in this way as well. Aside from holiday lets, service accommodation can be applied to city and leisure breaks and other variations on this theme, such as business and other short-term worker, worker stays, mid-term lets, so that's somewhere between one night and six months, corporate lets, and so on. I want to give short-term lets, uh, the idea at least, a, a bit more of a road test in the UK to complement my overseas rental models. So I trialled it in two properties. One was a room rental and the other one a mixed appeal of uh, holiday and business guests in a, in a single property. It's fair to say that one worked, whilst the other one hasn't worked quite so well, to be perfectly honest with you and, 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 and totally transparent. The uh, room rental idea didn't really work. Not for me, that is. And the main reasons for this were that I selected just one room in a shared house to run, run the short-term lets on. So that created a mixed tenant type of, in, the, in the property with some long-term stayers and then some you know, frequent guests turning changing around. And equally, the room rental rates available in that local area, that particular local area, was so low after all the costs were taken into account and at the occupancy rate that I achieved, it was a lot of work for a limited return. I would recommend all or nothing here uh, for anyone else considering such a venture with room rental. And equally, the location, room rent, occupancy rate balance is the one to perfect with this model. Overall, I guess I made a, a modest profit on the venture. However, when I factor in the sheer workload involved, it simply was not worth it. Not with this particular room or property that was. That's the same. The single property rental did well at work. Well, sort of. <laughs> it's been a bit of a white knuckle ride at times, I have to say, that saw very low bookings in a couple of months to being completely booked out, you know, 100% for months at a time at other times of the year. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, that's for sure. There's much to take into consideration with uh, short-term lettings business, uh, from channel marketing to management to frequent bookings to furnishing and fittings to cleaning and laundry turnarounds to occupancy rates to high running costs to out-of-hours call-outs to tax and accounting issues to permissions and compliance and even to the risk of the property becoming a pop-up brothel. And yes, I had to deal with something along those lines as well during the course of this uh, this particular trial. 
I have to say, I've learned much during this experiment, uh, I can tell you, and, uh, and that's why I did it really. It's, it was to teach myself more about this emerging property trend. What I can tell you is that uh, it has the potential to be a game changer, but it also has the potential to ruin you, or at least to ruin your social life. <laughs> Seriously, I like the idea of short-term rentals a lot, but it's not for everyone, and it also requires a very different skill set and management approach to more conventional single-let property. I'm happy with my holiday lets in the most part, but remain less than convinced about some of the other flavors of the model, especially with the regulatory landscape changing a lot and likely to change again in the future as well. So what else have I been up to then? Oh yes, uh, I bought another property in Brazil. You may recall that my wife is Brazilian and so we have a special interest in the country as a result. And this latest project is quite interesting, coming off the back of the last series on property financing, as we bought it with a 10% deposit, uh, but own it outright and without a mortgage. Yes, that's 10% down and owned outright. So how did we do that, I hear you ask? Well, it's not exactly a repeatable model, but in Brazil, you're actually allowed to take the equivalent of the state pension and use it to buy a property instead. In Brazil, the pension part of the equivalent of our national insurance is invested personally for you. Well, that's actually quite a good idea, to be honest, but let's, let's not go there right now. There are a few situations when you can access this fund for something other than your pension, which is probably not a good idea in certain situations, as you might imagine. But those, um, those situations are limited, so that's, uh, that's a relief. Uh, these special situations are either health-related, say if you need money for large med medical expenses, or if, say, you want to buy a house. In these situations, you can obtain your pension fund earlier, so we did. My wife had an accumulated pension fund from previous employment, and so we were able to use it to fund the other 90% of the property that we just bought. It could have funded the full property value if we wanted to, but we wanted a property at a higher value than the fund value, hence the 10% personal contribution. Our plan with this particular property is to renovate it, converting it from a large one-bedroom property into a chic two-bedroom and rent it out to visitors. It's in Copacabana and has a year-round appeal to holidaymakers. So having talked about my short-term lets in the UK being something of a learning experience, we're building on and indeed extending the model internationally, but in a far more time-tested way uh, via holiday rentals in a high-demand, sought-after location. Hmm, what else then? What else can I tell you about? How about rent to rent then? Yep, <laughs> I have been busy. When I discussed my rationale for the US properties earlier, if you remember, I mentioned that they were, uh, that they fitted more of a long-term asset accumulation goal than a short-term income one. Rent to rent is in fact the exact opposite. As with serviced accommodation, rent to rent has been something of a hot topic on the property circuit for a while now. And I've been, to say the least, skeptical about it. Um, and as with service accommodation, it's not as straightforward and as easy as some people would have you believe. From a personal point of view, the last thing I need is a job. I don't want to become a property manager that earns my money from time-based activities all day. No, that's not for me at all. Some say I'm lazy, but I prefer to say I'm just smart. 
I use leverage in my property investing in many different ways, not just financial uh, via the use of mortgages and similar uh, types of structure. So for any project to work for me, it must not rely on me working for it, not, not too much at least. I like to leverage my time and effort in property as well as my finances. Rent to rent then for me has to come in a more or less ready-made way and then be managed in an outsourced approach as well. Other people have a more hands-on approach and make it work work for more, excuse me work more for them uh, in more, more like a job or a business. But that's not what works for me personally uh, as a property uh, as a, so rather as a professional investor. Needless to say, I've looked at literally dozens of rent to rent opportunities over the past six months or so. And I've rejected nearly all of them. Uh, I often reject deals that allegedly promise to bring me around 800 to 1,000 pounds a month in cash flow. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, the problem is when someone tells you that a property will return 800 pounds a month uh, or more in cash flow, they don't always tell you the full picture. Okay, so in my case, I do prefer to have someone manage the property for me rather than me do it from uh, do it for me. Uh, sorry, do it myself. So that's a cost I choose to add in myself, and it can range from 8% to 18% of the gross rental income, including VAT if applicable. Then there are voids, repairs and maintenance, insurance, compliance costs, and so on. Many of the projects that I am offered assume 100% occupancy with no wear and tear and no additional costs uh, for the duration of the project. And that's simply not realistic. It doesn't reflect my reality or the real world reality. So don't buy into that story, will you? Then in other cases, there are costs to get a property ready to rent, such as furnishing it, licensing, decoration, and even some kind of improvement works. And that's a, a largely unrecoverable expense with rent to rent, so you have to write it off over the term. And that brings me on to the rental term. When I looked at some of these opportunities, many were for one to three years, and that simply doesn't cut it. As I've refined my analysis of rent to rent projects, I have found that they usually need to run for at least five years to make it worth the effort and offset some of the risks, cost leakage and upfront expenditure that's required. Not to mention my time. However, having said no a lot, I finally said yes, but not to one, but to three projects at the same time. But before we get too carried away, two fell over after agreeing to do them. One was due to the owner selling the property via another agent um, instead, and another was where the owner subsequently moved the goalposts on the required rent that we'd actually agreed and shook hands on. Uh, not every yes turns into a deal, as you can see. The final one is edging closer to being signed as we speak, so let's hope it goes of course, and, uh, and then I'll have a 10-year rent-to-rent deal with first option to purchase at any time over this period. Oh, and it should make money along the way as well, at a fraction of the cost of getting into a standard buy-to-let project. So we're looking at a significant return on investment here. So once again, I'm extending my personal experience and plugging in an effective strategy to meet a specific goal at a specific point in time. But as you can also see, I'm very choosy and particular and won't be taken into any old rubbish pedal around the property community. Anything else? Yeah, okay. Finally then, some joint venture projects, that's right. <laughs> Along with my business partner, Damien Fogg, we've undertaken a number of joint venture single 
property projects where we partner with an investor who brings funding and we provide the time and the know-how to make the venture work for all parties. All of these projects have made a profit or are expected to do so once they're sold on, so that's always a good thing. However, we're moving away from smaller single property joint ventures and more toward, towards larger conversions and developments instead. We currently have you know, such a project underway in Cambridge where we're converted a listed building which is currently used as office space into residential units. We can achieve much better returns with this type of project and to be frank, the extra work involved is not that much more than a single property refurb in reality. Yes, it is more work, but it's not a linear equation of effort and reward. It's an exponential one, or more bang for your buck, as I used to hear spoken in the IT and financial services world that I used to frequent. Uh, and if you want to know more about this, or if you want to look over our shoulder and learn whilst you earn on this particular project, and you can move quickly, then feel free to get in touch. In terms of knowledge sharing, in addition to The Property Voice, I've worked in partnership with Damien Fogg in a business called Real World Property Training. Our main focus these days is on foundational property training, a subscriber service that uh, shares genuine added value uh, deal tips for other property investors, live events around business and uh, property planning, a limited amount of mentoring for property investors, and a select membership community in what we're calling The Club. That's it in a nutshell in terms of the educational side of what I've been up to uh, of late. And if you want to know more about that, uh, most of it is on the RWPT website, which is uh, www.realworldpropertytraining.com. But you can also email me and I'd be happy to have a chat with you about any aspect of that. Phew! <laughs> so uh, that's the projects I've been up to recently and a little bit about the, the, the learning or knowledge sharing as well. Uh, uh, just summarize quickly for you. As I mentioned, I'm a property knowledge sharer and educator. That's not just talking about it and relying on something I did years before. I'm active today and constantly refining my skill set, to be honest with you. And of course, I'm applying some of the more innovative current strategies as well as some of the more tried and tested ones too. And this is a deliberate approach that I've taken. Um, to, to become more rounded and current and so I can, you know, uh, share effectively what I'm doing in property and not just talk a good game. But we've covered quite a lot of ground in today's show. And I hope it's been useful and interesting for you to hear a little bit about what I've been up to personally. I will return with another diary of a property investor update sometime in the future. But let's leave it there for now. Okay, and finally, do remember that you can email me anytime if you want to discuss anything about property or from today's show or more generally. And uh, the show notes will be available over the website, thepropertyvoice.net. The email address is podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening again today and each and every week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.